Well, good morning. Glad everybody could join us today. Give a few seconds for uh, everybody to join. It looked like from today's count, we were going to have uh, over 200 people on the, the webinar today, which is great. Um, it's nice to kind of sit back and talk about something a little less related to uh, COVID testing and, and COVID vaccinations and, and everything to do with COVID. Uh, so let's talk about heat stress today. It is the season in most of the country. Uh, I know down here in, in Houston, it has been very hot, very muggy over the past several days, which always lends itself to heat stress. Uh, I know, you know, some people in the in the country have just experienced snow blowing through. So, uh, but your days are coming, I'm telling you. We all know that that the the hot months are upon us, and we need to do all we can to protect ourselves. So, if you don't know who I am, I'm Dr. Tommy Heisler. I'm the chief medical officer here at the Health and Safety Council, headquartered in Houston, Texas. Uh, I operate our occupational health centers here through Global Health, and always trying to do my part to to offer these webinars on varieties of issues. Uh, I think we started way back last year, you know, talking about the pandemic and what this virus meant. Our latest one was on the vaccine and, and what that means and uh, wanted to kind of mix it up a little bit and talk about heat stress because I hate it when I have to see heat stressed employees uh, every, every season when we know this is such a preventable illness. So I wanted to talk about very specific things that we can do uh, to reduce this 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 injury and illness that happens to employees every single season and and there are some very specific ways that we can implement a heat stress prevention program where these things don't have to happen all right and if they do happen at least you can sit back and say well you know what I did absolutely everything I could I used the science I used the recommendations I have a good plan in place and somebody still got overheated, and that's going to happen. But unless you implement every piece of guidance that is out there, you really can't say, well, I did my best. Uh, so we're going to talk about some of that, that uh, those topics today. So let me first share my screen. Let's see here, sharing. And let's show this one. All righty. So again, welcome. Today we're going to talk about hot days and COVID-19 uh, because I know that is a big issue right now. You know, gosh, my employees are going to be hot, sweaty, and we got to wear this dang mask. You know, what 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 does that do to the overall heat stress? Well, as you can imagine, it adds to it. <laughs> you know, wearing wearing something over your face doesn't make you cooler, right? We all know that. We all get hot and sticky and our, our, our glasses fog up and it's just not a, a pretty situation. So first of all, I want to thank our, our, our platinum sponsors to the Health and Safety Council. Without your generous support, things like this could not occur. These things are, are free to you guys. It's not free to us to, to host this and, and purchase the software. So thank you again to our platinum sponsors as well as our gold sponsors. 
Also want to thank our critical infrastructure worker vaccination partners, our, our vaccine coalition partners in the Houston area, Lyondell Bissell, Evergreen North America, Texas Chemical Council, East Harris County Manufacturers Association, and ACIT. This is a, a group of, of uh, companies in addition to, to, to several other companies that really came together over the past several months to advocate and provide access to vaccines specifically to workers. So um, uh, if you haven't got your vaccination yet, your workers haven't, I would advise that you advocate for that. They can come to the Health and Safety Council to get that. It's a free vaccine, of course. All right, well, let's jump into it. So this is an actual uh, computer-based course that you can register your employees uh, to take. I actually designed this course with the, the partnership of OSHA, OSHA medical staff in Washington, DC. Uh, we, we collaborated on this, they came to me. The chief medical officer at OSHA in Washington came and said, you know what, we've been looking to do for a long time is to create a heat stress related safety course that's geared to two different audiences. One version geared to supervisors, what the, the leadership on the ground needs to know to help prevent these, these, uh, these injuries from happening. And then a second course geared to the labor force. How do they um, prevent this from happening, to, not only to themselves, but to other workers? How do they know what signs and symptoms to look out for? You know, I think we all do a good job of advocating water, drink water, drink water, drink water, monitor your urine color, right? What, what's the color of your urine? We all see the, the, uh, the color output uh, charts, but you know what? That's just such a small piece. It's an important piece, but if you're just relying on educating your workers to drink water, you're gonna fail every time. Everybody knows to drink water. I mean, that, that's the easiest thing to do. What we, what we sometimes overlook are the pieces that come before drinking water, are the pieces that come after drinking water. How much water is too much water? There is, there is an amount that's too much, right? If you drink too much water, you're gonna throw it up and then you've just furthered your dehydration. You've added insult to injury, right? Well, when should you drink water versus an electrolyte replacement? Should you always drink Gatorade and always drink Powerade and Squinchers and all that good stuff? No, you shouldn't. Some of it, sometimes it, you, you don't need it. When do you need it, right? We, we know all that stuff. We know all the data. There's been study after study after study to tell us all of this stuff. And, and it's out there. We don't have to guess. So this course uh, is geared towards that, to give you that data so you don't have to guess, okay? So the, the two safety council courses that your employees can sign up for or your supervisors is the 19 Heat SU or the 19 Heat LA. SU is supervisor, LA is labor. Uh, so, so have them sign up for it, take it, have it be a yearly, uh, course that they take so they can just keep that fresh in their minds at, at least once a year before the, the hot stress, uh, months come about. So, you know, when we talk about heat terms, you know, there's, there's three basic terms that we need to understand heat stress versus heat strain versus heat illness, right? They, they're, they're similar, but they mean different things. Heat stress is actually all of the factors that come into play to make your body not function very well. So it could be your clothing that adds stress. It could be the air temperature. How hot is it? 
the workload that that worker is enduring. Are they in an office? Are they outside as a, as a welder? Uh, what medical conditions does that employee have? Do they have diabetes? Do they have heart issues? Do they have uh, anything under the sun that, that uh, is, a, is a medical condition, which we're gonna go over, you know, and it, I put it there, et cetera. Anything that contributes to your body uh, uh, being overheated is what we deem heat stress. It's the factors. Well, heat strain is what happens to our body when those factors act upon it. So you have the heat factors, which causes heat stress to our body, which then in turn strains the body, which then in turn leads to a heat-related illness. So those factors that lead to heat stress or are our body becoming stressed out, well, of course, it's the air temperature. How hot is it outside or indoors, right? Humidity plays a huge factor. Like I said, if you're in Texas right now and you're in Houston, it's hot and humid, right? Feels like you walk out into a sauna. That's a factor that leads to heat stress. Well, what's the wind? What's the air movement? We all know that if it's breezy outside and it's 110 degrees, it may still feel okay because you've got that constant breeze and that constant air movement. If the wind is stagnant, you feel that heat a lot worse. What's the what's the radiant heat, right? Are you in the shade, or do you have that that uh, those sunbeams blaring right on your face, or do you have that radiant heat from that boiler that's six feet away blasting right on your face? All of these things are environmental factors that contribute to our body being stressed out. Well. What PPE are we wearing, right? And we're, as we're going to see, PPE certainly does not help the situation. Folks, they've done studies on PPE, right? They've done studies on, on the colors of hard hats, the colors of FRC, FRCs, right? And, and they know, look, look at the difference there. Uh, under a wide hard hat, the temperature can reach 100 degrees, right? When the, when the air temperature outside was 92. Contrast that to a dark blue hat, 105 degrees. FRC is light gray, 97. Dark blue, 106. It matters. The PPE that, that these folks are wearing matters. Well, begs the question, right? What about a COVID face covering? Well, you bet your life that it contributes, right? You're wearing a black facial covering or a gator pulled up over your neck and your, and your nose. Is that not going to contribute to your your heat stress? Absolutely it will. And we have to keep that in mind as, as we're sending these workers out into a 110 degree heat index day, it's going to factor in. What are the occupational factors, right? We talked about PPE. What are the job tasks? Are they labor intensive, intensive versus uh, sedentary work? Are they inside? Are they outside? How hot is it? What, what are they doing? All of those things contribute like we talked about, their personal health. Are they healthy as can be? Do they have underlying health conditions that are con gonna contribute to their, their body not getting rid of that heat as effectively and efficiently as, as somebody who does not have those, those conditions? Are they taking medications? Are they taking illegal drugs? All of these things contribute. What about medications, right? Well, you know what? I, you're gonna be hard pressed to find a worker that's not taking some kind of medication. That could be uh, something for blood pressure, 
something for their seasonal allergies, something for their diabetes, something for their thyroid, something, uh, they had a stomach ache, they're taking Pepto-Bismol today. All of these things come into play and act against our body getting rid of the heat. So when you have all of these factors bearing down on your body, it causes problems. And when you add them all up, it just adds insult to injury. Well, what if you have the diabetic 70-year-old individual that's working outdoors where the air is stagnant? It's just a combination of heat stress factors that are, that are going to cause your body to be strained, which then leads to that heat-related illness. The more factors you got, the worse the heat-related illness is going to be. So like we said, what contributes to heat stress? Anything. Any of the above factors are going to contribute to the body uh, getting heat stressed. And the combination just makes it worse. You add all these things together, it equals disaster. We all talk about the heat index and why is the heat index important? Because the heat index takes into consideration not only just how hot it is outside, but also the humidity factor. And we know if the humidity is high, the higher the heat index and the worse off we're gonna be out in the heat. We, we've all seen the heat index uh, chart. Most of the time you can just Google this, you know, what's the heat index of the day in my area, it's gonna tell you. But if you just look at the, at the graph, the higher on the left-hand side you get of the outdoor or the indoor temperature, how hot is it where I'm working, you cross-reference that with the with the uh, the the uh, horizontal uh, degree or the percentage at the top. You meet in the middle. Where you meet is the heat index. The more you get into the orange zone, the more you get into that red zone. You're talking about a very high heat index. It ain't gonna feel good, right? The problem with the heat index is that it's it's the temperature that our body thinks it is. So you could have a nice, uh, you know, 92 degrees over on the left side. It's 92 degrees outside. But if the heat index is 90%, well, look, look where you are. You go from 90 degrees over on the left, you meet in the middle where it says 90% humidity. What is that? 122 degrees. That's what our body thinks it is. That's what our body reacts to. So just because you, you say, oh, it's only 90 degrees outside, it's not so bad. If that humidity is high, you have a recipe for disaster. So it's important to understand the relative humidity and the heat index. Um, you know, if you look at any of the recommendations by NIOSH or the, uh, the Association of uh, Industrial Hygienists or NIOSH, they all say, yeah, you know, heat index is, is okay, but truly the best way to measure uh, the potential for heat stress is by using a wet bulb globe thermometer. Folks, these things are cheap. <clears throat> you can get one on, on Amazon for probably 50 bucks. I purchased one when I, when I give these, these live lectures, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. And what this does is not only take into consideration how hot it is, but it also takes in, into consideration 
the heat index, I'm sorry, the humidity, as well as air movement, because what did we say? Air movement reduces the potential for heat stress. So it, it's measuring uh, the wind, how, how circulating the, the air is in the area that you're working. And it puts together a temperature for you called the wet bulb globe temperature. And that is the most accurate temperature to go off of when you're uh, looking at your, your, your risk of the day for heat stress. So NIOSH, CDC, Industrial Hygiene Association all say use this thermometer when it's available. The heat index should always be an alternative way to identify that heat risk. I know we use it because the Weather Channel gives it to you. It's easy to, to look up on your phone and, and it's good, but if you've got a, a WBGT thermometer, it's even better. Uh, the guidance is to consider a heat index of 80 as a starting point to say, you know what, I probably need to be on the lookout today for my workers because we've got a heat index of 80, things are going to start to go bad, okay? And we think, out of 80, I would think 80 degrees is a, is a cool day. Yeah, but it, it's a starting point to say, I need to be on the lookout. Folks, the studies show that heat fatalities occur when the heat index is as low as 88 degrees. As low as 88 degrees, you can have a fatality. So you need to be careful, need to be conscious of those heat indexes, okay? The median heat index when uh, fatalities have occurred is 98 degrees. We're talking heat index, which means the actual temperature outside is far less than 98 degrees. So it doesn't have to be 110 for a fatality to happen. It's important to know what the heat index is and to be on the lookout. Signs and symptoms. We, we all know the signs and symptoms of, of heat stress uh, uh, because we, we, we have it ingrained, all right? But identifying those, those signs is key to early detection and early prevention, and you want to remove that employee from the, the hot environment as soon as the first sign or symptom occurs. And what is the first sign and symptom of, of heat stress? A headache. If your employee comes to you and you know the heat index is, is up there, you know it's a hot muggy day, and they say, hey boss, I got a headache. You need to step back immediately and say, come get in the shade in the air conditioning. Here's some bottles of water. You need to cool down. Headache, first sign of heat stress. Like we talked about, you know, the temperature needed to cause these illnesses can, can vary widely. Don't just think it has to be 100 degrees outside for these things to happen. It can be 80 degrees outside. And if the humidity is high, you've got a heat index of 90 degrees, it's gonna go south very quickly unless you put some of these things that we're gonna talk about into, into place early. Illnesses can happen when the temperature feels great outside, folks, just because just like we talked about, the breeze can be nice, it can be low humidity, but if, if the temperature is high enough or the humidity is high enough, it can feel great outside, but your body can still be overheated because You've got other factors in play, right? FRCs, hard hat, 
COVID facial coverings, diabetes, high blood pressure. Uh, they went out last night and they and they stayed up till three in the morning having some beers. All of those factors contribute to the strain on the body like we talked about. So if you're sitting back and saying, oh, it's 80 degrees outside, there's a breeze, my workers are gonna be fine. It's not gonna work, folks. You're gonna have people heat stress and you're gonna say, well, it can't possibly be heat stress because it's 85 degrees outside with a breeze. That's just a piece of the pie. The temperature is just a piece of the pie. Heat stroke. This is the emergency, right? This is when your core body temperature goes above 104 degrees and the body has stopped trying to cool itself. It's given up. So what do we see with heat stroke? It's going to be confusion, loss of consciousness. They passed out. They're talking out of their head. They're mumbling. Their eyes are rolling in the back of their head. They're hot. They're dry. The body has stopped sweating. They have a seizure, right? This is a true emergency, folks. If your worker is it has altered mental status, is confused, has stopped sweating, it's an emergency. They are on the path to not surviving. When this happens, you need to seek emergency care immediately. I don't know how many times in my clinic I've had I've had companies send their employees and I can't arouse them. Their their eyes have rolled back into the back of their head. And, and and they're not arousable. I, I have to immediately start an IV fluid or that employee is going to die. These workers should be sent via ambulance immediately to get immediate IV fluids, cooling towels wrapped on them to try to resuscitate them. Don't try to skirt around the fact that a heat stroke with any of these signs or symptoms is an emergency. Don't play around with it. Heat exhaustion, this is the typical thing that we see on a job site and that we see countless times in our clinic, right? Headache, fatigue, sweating, I don't feel good, I'm thirsty, I'm a little dizzy. These are the things that are easily treatable on site. Get them taken care of, let them cool down. If things are not treating themselves on site with, with first aid measures, bring them to a clinic, bring them to wherever you, you would typically take them for any other occupational injury. These things are easily reversible if you catch them early. Remember, heat exhaustion can very quickly move to heat stroke and then you've got a problem. Heat cramps, you know, this is, oh, my, my arms are hurting, my calves are hurting, my hands are cramping up. This is because that employee has lost so much electric, so many electrolytes or so much electrolytes through their sweat, namely sodium and potassium, their muscles give up. Their muscles start to cramp. Sodium potassium is the fuel that keeps our muscles moving. Well, when you ain't got the fuel, the muscles ain't going to work. So they start to contract and cramp and it hurts. The only thing to do for that employee is to get them out of the, the heat give them electrolyte replacement, replace the fuel to the muscle so it loosens back up. Heat syncope, this is when that employee passes out and, and has loss of consciousness due to multiple reasons. In all cases, uh, 
it's a true emergency, okay? Obviously, it's a true emergency. If you got a employee that passes out in, in, in your workplace, you know it's an emergency uh, uh, as well, right? You know, it, this could be because their diabetes is out of control, right? This could be that their high blood pressures, high blood pressure was out of control. You're not gonna know right then, right? You just see your employee on the ground unconscious, you know it's an emergency, get them off site. Could it be related to heat? Of course it could be. It could be personal health reasons of, uh, as well. It's an emergency, get them to first aid, do whatever you normally would do to, to get them immediate emergency care. Heat rash is another sign and symptom of, of heat stress. This is when our, our uh, sweat glands have become clogged. They're so overactive that they've just clogged up. This happens a lot underneath uh, FRCs because of, of the sweating and, and, and your FRCs are keeping that sweat just in there and unable to evaporate. So the sweat glands clog. It's no big treatment for this. Uh, you know, just cooling them, getting them, getting them cooled down, getting them hydrated, and this rash will go away uh, on its on its own. But I mean, look at this rash. This is a this is a a, a, a heat rash. But you don't know, right? It looks like they could have been exposed to a chemical, an allergic reaction to something. So you always need to take these offsite, get them looked at by by a medical professional, so we can make sure nothing else is is going on. You know, like we talked about it, and, and I'm going to reinforce this throughout the entire webinar. Just telling your workers to keep hydrated and drink water is never going to be enough for many, many reasons, right? Well, the amount they need is 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 different from person to person. Is it is a 70 pound uh, kid going to need as much as the 300 pound worker? Probably not. Is the uh, the new worker who just was working for at Kroger the day before and now is thrown out as a as a fire watch uh, the next day out in the sun. Is that person going to need the same amount of of water as somebody who's been working out in the sun for 30 years? Probably not. Is the person with diabetes going to need more water? Probably so. So just by saying, hey, folks, everybody needs to drink a bottle of water and keep a log that's probably not going to be enough. The most important thing to monitor for, in addition to hydration status, is their urine output. And folks, I'm not talking about the color. I'm talking about how much is actually coming out. That is the true indicator. The quantity of urine coming out is the true indicator of someone's hydration status. Just think about this. If you've got a worker working out in the sun and they're sweating out a liter of sweat every hour, how much fluids do they have to take in at least to cover for the amount of urine coming out? A liter, right? A liter. So if you're sweating out a liter of, of sweat, which folks, in a lot, okay, in the scheme of, of sweating throughout the day. If your workers are sweating out a liter of, of fluid every hour and you're telling them to drink a bottle of water every hour, they're never gonna catch up. And before you know it, they're gonna be overheated, 
dehydrated and on the ground. Monitor urine. They need to monitor their urine output every hour. And if they realize they have not urinated within that hour, they need to stop what they're doing, go to a shady spot, and drink fluids until they urinate. I'm going to give you a nice little anecdote that just happened to me over the weekend. For the first time in probably a year since the pandemic, I got a chance to go play golf. And it was a hot day in Houston. It was hot. It was humid. I think the heat index was around 95 on the weekend. I drank from, from 9 a.m. when I, I started playing golf till about 3 p.m. When, when I ended. I probably drank, I don't know, at least 10 bottles of, of fluids, mostly water, some not water, uh, a Gatorade, a Coke Zero, uh, you name it, at least 10, 10 bottles of, of, of fluids throughout that six hours. You know how many times I went to the bathroom? Once when I was done at 3 p.m., once. And, you know, and I'm consciously knowing I'm going to give this webinar, right? And I know how much I'm supposed to be urinating every hour. So I'm, I'm consciously keeping an eye on it, right? Okay, I need, a drink, I need to drink this bottle of water. The next, uh, you know, hydration station, I'm going to drink another bottle. I drank at least 10, 10 bottles of, of water over that six hours. I only urinated one time. It just goes to show you telling workers to drink a bottle of water every hour is not going to be enough. They need to be drink, drinking enough where they're urinating at least every two hours, at least. And until they do that, you know, and they need to know they're dehydrated. Dehydration will quickly lead to heat stress. So yes, it's great to keep water logs. Yes, it's great to emphasize hydration and electrolyte replacement and water. But folks, if it ain't coming out, it's not enough. And the good old color urine charts of yellow, light yellow, clear, dark brown, that's great. But what does it assume? That there's urine coming out to look at. If you're telling them, hey, monitor your, your urine output and it needs to be clear, if they ain't peeing, it's useless. The most important indicator of hydration status is how much is coming out in the form of urine. If you, if you come away with, with two or three uh, highlights of today's webinar, keep this one in mind. Teach your workers to monitor their urine output and recommend they urinate at least once an hour to once every two hours. And if they have not, encourage them, hey, I want you to step back. I want you to, to let me know, boss, I haven't gone to the bathroom in a couple hours. I need to go drink some water until I go. Encourage that. That's what's going to keep them off the ground. We encourage frequent small amounts versus large amounts of fluid. Large amounts of fluid all at one time, especially when you're heat stressed, will cause you to vomit. Well, if you're throwing up all your, your hydration, you're only gonna get more dehydrated uh, and, and sicker faster. 24 ounces every hour, right? 24 ounces. A bottle of water is not 24 ounces, right? It's a lot less. 
So it's, it's at least a couple of bottles of water every hour. And if that's not enough to make them go to the bathroom during that hour, it's not enough. Have them drink more. An important point to educate workers on as well, it doesn't, it doesn't help when, when you start drinking water by the time you're already sweating at work. They need to be filling up that hydration tank before they even get to, to the job site. And that's not a monster drink. That's water. Have them start drinking bottles of water before they get to the job site. The good old color urine chart, it's great. But again, it, it assumes they're urinating. If they're not urinating, this chart is useless, right? So when you talk about this chart, you show them the chart, just add a piece to it and say, you need to be seeing this color of urine every hour. And if you're not seeing the color of your urine every hour, you're not drinking enough. And workers are always going to say, oh, God, I'm, I don't know how I got heat stress. I was drinking two bottles of water, you know, or I drank 10 bottles of water. And I always ask, when's the last time you went to the bathroom? Oh, well, you know, I, I guess it was when I woke up and, and first thing at my house, I went to the bathroom. Really? That was five hours ago? Yeah, but I was drinking. I was drinking water and I was drinking Gatorade. And I, again, if they're not urinating, it's not enough, no matter how much you tell them to drink, no matter how many gallons they're drinking, if it's not coming out in the form of urine, it's not enough. They're sweating it out. Their body is using it faster than they can, than they can get it in. Monitor how much they're urinating every hour. Electrolyte replacement. This is always a big question, right? How much water versus electrolyte replacement? Folks, we know this. This is scientifically studied. You don't have to guess. The studies show us you can drink cool, plain water for the first one to two hours of working. And then after that, it must be supplemented with sugar-free electrolyte replacement. Do not use salt tablets. And the muscle cramps are going to occur as soon as those electrolytes start to become low. So. When you've got an employee that says, my hands or my calves are hurting, you know right then they're already dehydrated. They're already low. They've sweated out their electrolytes, and you need to push electrolytes onto them quickly. So one to two hours is fine just drinking water. After that, you need to make sure there's an electrolyte replacement in the mix of that water. It needs to be sugar-free. Why sugar-free? Number one. Probably 50% of your workforce is diabetic. Whether or not you know it and whether or not they know it, they're diabetic. You don't want to be pushing or encouraging sugar drinks on them. Number two, sugar reduces your, your body's uh, ability to release its heat. So we always encourage sugar-free drinks. Gatorade has a sugar-free G2. It's sugar-free. Uh, there's all sorts of, of re electrolyte replacement drinks that are now sugar-free. So encourage the sugar-free electrolyte replacement. And, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to how much you need to give. I always say just alternate. Uh, a bottle of water, a bottle of Gatorade. A bottle of water, a bottle of Gatorade. Just keep that electrolyte replacement in the mix throughout the work shift. Folks, there is no OSHA standard on 
on heat. I guarantee you if there was an OSHA standard on heat, we'd know what to do and we'd be forced to do things uh, 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 much better. We know, it looks like I misspelled OSHA in that third bullet point there. We know by looking at case studies on heat-related fatalities, the majority of fatalities occur within the first three days that that employee who died was working. The first three days. That tells us a whole host of things that we can do to put in place to prevent these workers from having a heat-related fatality. Because there's not a OSHA standard on heat, OSHA doesn't get to know when heat-related illnesses happen, unless the treatment makes it a recordable, then, they, then you have to log it, right? They only typically know about heat-related cases when it's a fatality, then you have to report it, right? So we know a lot about these heat-related fatalities because OSHA knows about them and we've studied them. Workers are more um, prone to a heat-related fatality in the first three days they are thrown into that hot environment. That's why having a heat prevention program is key. Folks, again, you don't have to guess. You don't have to make this stuff up. It's there for you. Criteria for a recommended standard uh, exposure to heat in hot environments, it's there for you. It tells you what to do. And we're gonna go through some of this stuff uh, in, in the webinar today. OSHA also gives you uh, some, some, some tips. Water, rest, shade. This is their guidelines for helping you with this stuff. Prevention programs, there's eight bullet points that, that NIOSH, CDC outlines for you to say, folks, if you do this stuff, you can reduce the heat-related illnesses that your workers are experiencing. Designate somebody to be in charge of the program, right? It starts with that. Who's gonna be the person that outlines the program that rolls it out to your company? Monitor the temperatures. Every day you should know in your working environment how hot it is. And that's not just outside, that's inside too. Believe me, a lot of times the work environment indoors can be hotter than it is outdoors, right? A lot of times it's a breezy day outside, but it's hot as hell inside. Keep an eye on the temperature and we always recommend that wet bulb globe thermometer to keep an eye on that. Water and shaded rest, right? We're gonna talk about the schedules of, of rest and water. Again, you don't have to think. NIOSH outlines it for you. How much work should my worker do versus how much they should be shaded and drinking water? It's there for you. You don't have to guess. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to assume. Acclimatize. I told you if you, if you had to remember three things, one was the urine output, acclimatizing your workers is probably the biggest thing to take away from this course and the heat prevention program. Because as you're gonna see, the people that die from heat-related fatalities are the workers that are not acclimatized. 
So if we know that, folks, if we know if all it took was that I acclimatized that worker who died, he'd still be alive. He'd still be going home to his or her family every night. You think maybe you would have put a, a acclimatization schedule in place? Absolutely you would. It's extremely important. These workers that just came from Kroger yesterday and you throw out into a, a high heat index day, they're gonna drop like flies because they're not acclimatized. And you don't have to guess of how to prevent that. OSHA and NIOSH give you this the outline, the exact schedule of, of acclimatizing new workers to the heat. Again, most fatalities happen in the first three days that worker is working. And over 70% of those fatalities happened in workers that were not acclimatized. We know this stuff, folks. We know it. We can, we can prevent it if we just use what we know and implement it into a proper heat stress prevention program. And like I said before, if your program, program consists of encouraging water and having a water log, you're going to fail every time. Every time. There's no need to guess. NIOSH and ACGIH has the guidance for you. It's out there. If you just use it, it's going to help. Folks, and guess what? They've done studies on this. They've said, okay, let's look at companies who did not use our guidance, and let's look at companies that did use our guidance. And those things are difficult to study. But what they did find is that companies that used all of the steps of the recommended heat prevention program did not have fatalities in the years that they studied. Those that did not had fatalities. Acclimatizing your workers needs to be gradual. If you throw them out there and a heat index of 100 degrees on day one, don't even think they're not going to get heat stress because they are. The guidance is that any heat index above 85 degrees should be, should be on the lookout. I know a previous slide said 80 degrees. This guidance says 85 degrees. So just know when you get into the 80, 80 uh, degrees of a heat index, things are gonna go south quickly. They say if you're using a wet bulb globe temperature and it's greater than 77, it's of concern. So just, you know, please do not think if it's 85 degrees outside and breezy and it feels great, you're not gonna have problems because you will. Another key point of the prevention program, never leave a new worker to work alone in the heat. Always have a buddy system, which we're gonna talk about. Look at the differences between an unacclimatized worker versus an acclimatized worker. Unacclimatized workers do not sweat efficiently. Their sweat contains more sodium, more salt, more electrolytes. Their body temperature and heart rate increases more quickly when working, and their blood flow is slower, so it does not dissipate the heat and allow the body to cool off. We know this stuff, folks. If we know this stuff, we need to acclimatize these workers. Look, here it is. 
the exact guidance you should follow to acclimatize a new worker to the heat. You don't have to guess. It's not rocket science. It's outlined for you. On day one, a new unacclimatized worker should be working out in the heat no more than one and a half hours of that work shift. And you're probably thinking, what the? Really? I can't sit, they can't only work 1.5 hours? Yeah. If you want to prevent that worker from having a heat stress injury and potentially being whisked off in an ambulance and an IV started, yeah. 1.5 hours on day one. On day two, they can work two hours out in the heat. On day three, 2.5, and so on and so on and so on. Look what the recommendation is. Don't let them work their full eight-hour shift until they've been slowly acclimatized over 10 days. Do you think you can spare 10 days to prevent that worker from having a heat stress injury or potentially a heat fatality? I think you probably do. Have them doing their safety training. Have them doing their, uh, their paperwork. Have them doing their new site orientation for the rest of those hours. There's a lot of stuff they can be doing over that first uh, week or so on the job. But folks, here it is. This is what we know prevents people from dying from a heat stress injury. Use it. Don't guess. Don't assume they can do it. And what is the, what is the, the definition of, of, of a new worker? It's somebody who has not been working in the heat as part of their career. This is a new worker, right? Young Jimmy, who you just got off the street, who worked at Kroger yesterday, and now he's a pipe fitter helper. New workers, right? Okay, well, guess what? We also know the, the schedule for an experienced worker. Let's say this is a, a pipe fitter that's been working 40 years out in the heat, but he's been on vacation for two weeks, right? And he hasn't been out in the sun. He went snow skiing for two weeks. NIOSH says this is what you should follow for an experienced worker who's used to the heat, but has been away from the hot environment, the hot working environment for more than seven days. In just seven days, their body can go from being acclimatized to unacclimatized, and now you may have a problem when you throw them back to the job site. So they give you a much much more condensed version of the acclimatization schedule, but they say, look, even with an experienced worker, if they've been out of the hot environment for more than a week, you need to slowly incorporate them back to that hot environment, or you risk having a heat-related illness. More prevention that they recommend, you know, pre-placement exams, annual exams, have a medical provider look at these employees. You look, folks, and I get it, right? A physical exam costs money. It's a bottom, it's a bottom line expense. Somebody's got to pay for it. Not everybody does physical exams. But again, when they looked at fatalities of heat-related illnesses, they said companies that did not follow the guidelines and did not do everything we recommend are the ones that had the fatalities. So if you're not going to do this stuff, just know you didn't follow all the guidelines. You didn't follow the recommendation. It is not a complete heat prevention program if you do not do everything they advise.
modify, they give you a whole bunch of uh, uh, modification recommendations. You can modify the, the environment in which that employee is working. You can modify the work. Maybe they're not working in the heat and the, and the hot hours. Maybe you adjust the schedule where they're working in the hot outdoors uh, from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Modify the clothing or the, or the equipment. Modification by acclimatization should always be first. Before you even think about putting them in the environment in which you then have to change, you should have acclimatized them to the heat. The program gives you very specific ways in which to modify these different bullet points. Altering the duration of the tasks, altering the work schedules, knowing the workload levels, right? By knowing the workload levels, they give you these recommendations. If it's, if it's X, X uh, let's say it's 90 degrees outside, and that employee is, is, is fits into a heavy workload uh, job description, and they're out in the full sun, look what the recommendation is. I've circled it in red. Stop the work. If it's 90 degrees outside, and you've got that worker doing heavy manual work in full FRCs, and they're out in the, in the, in the full sun, the guidance says, you got to stop right there that worker is, is going to suffer a heat-related illness. You've got to stop the work. Now, if there's no sun, they say, look what the, the work rest schedule should be. I, I, that's the other one circled in red. If there's no sun, they're doing heavy work and it's 90 degrees outside, they need to be working for 15 minutes followed by a 45-minute break. And folks, I get it. You're saying, well, they might as well not even come to work, right? If they're only working 15 minutes out of the hour each day, I get it, I get it. But if you're trying to implement the CDC, the NIOSH recommended heat program, this is what you have to do. And if you don't do it, by all means, right? You ha It's 90 degrees outside, you've got a heavy workload worker working in the full sun and you're gonna have them work the whole hour, if they have a heat-related illness, you can't say, I don't know what happened. You do know what happened. You were given guidance. You were given the tools and the tips to prevent it. It's up to you to implement it. This is the recommendation schedule. Uh, this was uh, designed by the Department of Defense to, to prevent uh, heat-related uh, illnesses and dehydration. This is a Schedule for, for fluid replacement versus how much they're working, right? So if the wet bulb glow temperature is 78 to 82 degrees over on the left that I circled, they're doing hard labor. Uh, they need to be only working 40 minutes out of that hour and then resting. And they need to be drinking uh, 0.75 quarts per hour. That's 24 ounces of water per hour. Folks, you don't have to guess, right? This this stuff is all out there for you to help you, to help give you those tools to prevent these workers from dropping like flies. FRCs are, are a major risk factor for heat stress, right? Look at these guys. If these guys were working out in the full sun, what do you think is going to happen? Look, they're in, they're in a 
full hazmat gear. They've got a full face respirator on. They are going to be hot as hell and sweating. They've done studies on this, right? What is a double layer woven clothing? What does that add to the inter internal uh, temperature inside that gear? It adds 37 more degrees to what you would experience if you weren't wearing those FRCs. It adds a tremendous additional amount of heat. So you just have to be aware that a hot day, it's humid, they're in FRCs, they've got a respirator, it's a recipe for disaster. Follow the work rest schedules with the fluid replacement schedules. There's other methods to, to prevent heat stress. It's all outlined in those uh, heat prevention program manuals. This stuff, folks, is the last resort. This is basically saying I bypassed all of the other prevention methods that the that the plan has recommended, and now I'm just going to try to throw ice on the on the worker and, and hope that it works. These are last ditch efforts. Remember, COVID-19 uh, mask and facial coverings and gaiters all add to the risk of a heat stress illness. The CDC, believe it or not, has come out and said, look, we get it. These facial coverings are going to add to your risk for a heat-related illness. They actually tell you if it's going to add to your heat stress risk, you need to fi find ways around them. They talk about it in that link. Just, just Google. What I did today was just Google CDC uh, heat stress uh, uh, facial coverings. It's going to come up. It tells you, look, here, here's a here's a here's a possible solution, right? Uh, wear the mask when you're in six feet of somebody. Don't wear it when you're not. Fine. Well, if it's going to increase your heat stress risk, which it will, uh, wear a face shield instead of a instead of a, a face mask. They give you as employers options. Now, look, if you're an accountant working in an office, those things probably don't don't apply to you. Is your heat stress risk uh, high in an air-conditioned office? Probably not. But OSHA and the CDC give you... I'm having trouble hearing you. Oops, Siri thinks I'm talking to her. Uh, gives you available alternatives to wearing those gaiters and face masks. Just go to the link. Look at it, right? They say you don't have to wear the mask if you're going to get heat stressed. They give you that that leniency, right? They just they leave it up to you. Do what is best for your heat prevention program and to pre prevent heat stress from occurring in your workers. Monitoring the temps, that's that's part of their recommendations. Again, know how hot it is, know what the heat index is, know what the the uh, the wet bulb globe temperature is, and monitor it throughout the day based on how, how hot it is. Okay. You're probably, all of your workers are probably in that right-hand column there because they're wearing FRCs. So you need to monitor the temperature more frequently. Implement a buddy system again. Nobody should be working alone in the heat. Somebody passes out by themselves, they may be sitting there for an hour with that sun just baking them even more. Always have somebody working with them. Advise self-monitoring, right? And again, we talk about advocating, advising 
your workers on what the signs and symptoms are, not only so they can keep an eye on themselves, but they can keep an eye on their buddy. Cold start of shift safety talks. Folks, we do this all the time, right, at the job site. Everybody gather around. We're going to talk for five minutes about back strains and stretching and, and drinking your water. Hold one on heat stress. Again, folks, you don't have to guess. OSHA has these things given to you. Look, there's an image of what the guide looks like. A guide for employers to carry out heat safety training for workers. It's a it's a 15-minute safety talk you can you can give. It's available in Spanish too. Use it. Use it. At the start of every shift, when it's hot in these in these hot months that we're gearing into, do it. Use it. Use the steps that we know work to prevent heat stress injuries and fatalities. Emergency response, have the plan in place, identify where your medical services are, uh, have all workers trained and ready to respond to somebody who has a heat stress illness. All workers should be able to provide basic first aid to a heat stress employee. That, that ain't rocket science. They should all know where bottles of water are, ice is, shaded area is, they should all know that. That's part of your, your uh, daily safety talks you want to give to your workers. Hey, folks, here are the signs and symptoms of heat stress. Make sure you're drinking your water. Make sure you're, you're urinating at least once an hour. If you do start to have a headache, if you think one of your buddies or yourself is, is, is getting heat stressed, here's the nearest shaded area in this, in this uh, sector of, of the work site. Here's bottles of water. Notify us as your supervisor. If you don't do that, you're going to have a recipe for disaster. So in summary of this entire webinar and this shortened version of our, of our safety council uh, heat stress course, you can reduce the risk by following the recommended heat prevention program guidelines. It's out there. It's public domain. Just, just Google NIOSH heat prevention program. It's a thick program. Designate somebody from your company or your job sites to be that designated heat prevention specialist and know that they're going to be the ones that implements the program. Acclimatize your workers. If you walk away from, from uh, this webinar knowing one thing and implementing one thing, it is to acclimatize your workers. Train your workers. Give the safety talks at the beginning of, the, of, of each shift. Understand the seriousness of this illness. I think we all do, right? A simple headache related to heat strain can go from a headache to a heat stroke in a matter of 10 minutes. Unless you do the things we talked about to, number one, prevent it, but then to get that worker cared for. Spread your knowledge, folks. If you go away from this webinar today and you keep it to yourselves, you've done your company and your workers a great injustice. Go from this webinar to immediately go to your inbox and send an email and say, folks, we need to implement a, a heat stress prevention program a lot more than we've been doing. Assign it to somebody, get it taken care of. Here's my email address. Please feel free to email me and I'm, I'm happy to, to give you these links. I can't give you the slides because they, it is a, uh, a, an actual safety council course. Your workers are welcome to sign up for that course. It's, it's an inexpensive course. It's available, uh, take it from anywhere. There's the email address. If you wanna email me, I'm happy to answer more questions, uh, help you guide you through some of this stuff. 
there's more information on on the safety council and, and how you can call and get uh, set up looky there ended at 10 o'clock on the nose that's pretty darn good if you ask me so again I, I thank everybody for being on the webinar i hope you got something out of it acclimatize your workers folks have them monitor their urine output two keys to to preventing heat stress injuries heat stress heat stress illnesses and fatalities y'all have a good rest of the week take care stay cool bye-bye